Welcome to the next episode of the USA Powerlifting Podcast with your host, Ryan Carrillo. All right, hello and welcome to a long-delayed and much-awaited another episode of the USA Powerlifting Podcast. We've been gone a while, and I'm sorry for that. You know, this is a volunteer effort, and sometimes uh, we just have some competing priorities in our lives. But I'm joined today by a new executive committee member, Eric Cordero, and we have a big reason and purpose behind this episode, right, Eric? Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. For for those that don't know Eric, he's our resident historian, and uh, he's definitely done the work and has shared some of his passion with the community over the years. Uh, one of the things being, in the last year, he actually established our Men's Hall of Fame. And I want to go ahead and hand it off to Eric so he can introduce our inductees for this first go-around. For those that don't know, we've had a Women's Hall of Fame for some years, and Eric uh, put some effort in and made sure that we give our male power lifters some love and attention and establish their names in the history books. Uh, so, Eric, why don't you go ahead and share our male Hall of Fame inductees? All right. Yeah. So um, actually, our, this is our second year of doing this. Uh, we put in a 11 the first year. Um, there was a lot of uh, people that just we need to recognize over the years. Um, so this this year, we haven't had a chance to really get together really well in this committee. It's been a slow launch, unfortunately. Um, but the two people we put in were uh, probably people don't know these people. And is probably one of the reasons we're here right now. Right. The history of our sport. But uh Irvin Gaynor, who uh, at, who competed from 1995 to 2009, he won 11 nationals uh, in the 52 kilogram class. Um, he was at 11 world teams. He placed second at worlds. He, a couple of podiums at world, which is pretty impressive. Uh, regardless of that, at his biggest numbers at 52 were 50, uh, 567 and a half keys. And then at 56, it was 592 and a half. Um, and, you know, he'd been along around a long time, uh, well-deserving of this honor. Uh, the next person we have is actually uh, still involved in, in powerlifting. Matter of fact, ran, so we, we do a powerlifter and then we do a bench only. Um, and... Uh, this person ran, I think, bench nationals, I want to say 2019 um, in South Dakota is uh, Jonah Leo. Uh, Jonah Leo has some impressive numbers. Um, he won nationals six times, uh, four-time gold medalist at, at Bench Worlds. Uh, at super heavyweight, he benched 400 keys. Uh, he actually has uh, 15 times he's benched over 362 and a half keys. That that number is significant because that's the 800 pound barrier. Yeah, right? he was the first to bench 800 uh, here in the United States, and, and I remember it. He really broke the barrier, and you know, kind of like the four minute mile, the first one to do it kind of enables the rest of the competition to see it is possible. And and after he hit that 800, it started becoming the norm for some of the other big ventures in the world. Yeah. So very deserving for Jonah, for sure. Absolutely. So we're going to get them their uh, accolades and awards. Uh, I know Jonah wanted to come to uh, nationals to, to receive it, but, you know, as you said earlier on, life sometimes gets in the way of powerlifting things, so we couldn't come. Uh, and same with Urban, we'll get them to something as well. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Well, those are two very deserving and uh, reputable names in powerlifting. And... That's a good segue for us to talk about why we're here today. So our friends over at the Two Y Light podcast had a really uh, good podcast where they shared their picks 
they had what they called the GOAT draft, so the greatest of all time. And they did a snake draft, and they had a bunch of varying opinions, and, and it was really entertaining. I listened to about two-thirds of it. Um, and we appreciate that. It's great that the younger people are thinking about these kinds of questions. I think it's great for the sport. But on the other hand, you know, especially for a guy like Eric and myself who, who love the sport and who have a passion for the history and making sure we don't forget it, you know, there were some names that were definitely left out. And, and so we want to come together today to share our feelings on who we believe are the greatest power lifters of all time. And I, I will say this is with heavy bias, right? These are our opinions. This is not the opinion of USA Powerlifting, but this is the opinion of our historian, Eric, uh, and myself who I'm, I'm young, right? I'm, I'm 30 or 31, just turned 31. That's why I said that. And, and a lot of the people on the podcast are about my age. So I say there's no excuse to not know the history of your sport, even if you're in your early 30s or your late 20s. Uh, you know, when I got into the sport in 2009, I devoured knowledge. I devoured all this information. And I was lucky enough to be around some legends in the sport. And I just listened. And hearing the stories they would tell of some of these names and the things that they did just fed my fuel for discovering who the people uh, were, were in the sport before I ever became a part of it. And I think it's something that's sorely missing right now. People don't have the perspective earlier than basically like 2015-ish. And, and I think that's that's unfortunate, but hopefully today when we bring up some of these names and talk about the things that they've done, people can, can be excited about things that have been done in the past and why that's important for where we're headed in the future. Right, Eric? Absolutely. You know, and, and I, I, you know, this morning before getting ready for this podcast, I was thinking about, you know, two white light guys did a good job, I think, in some ways of, of exposing some lifters that probably people never heard of, right? Just bringing this topic up in general uh, of who, who's some of the greatest lifters of all time. Um, you know, Steve Denovi and I had exchanged ideas, you know, obviously this is, this is the sports discussion always, right? The great debate, who, who are the greatest people who belong with what, how do we count different eras in sports, right? Uh, we all know eras in sports change. Does, does Bill Russell belong with LeBron James in a discussion at all, right? Um, you know, uh, where does Babe Ruth go? And as far as, as being one of the greatest players of all time, he probably couldn't even make it out of, uh, into the majors now, right? So, you know, so, so I think this is the debate that we have always. So it's good. It's good to have this discussion and it's good to remember some of these people. I think some of the people are people are going to be surprised at either they're still lifting or they just finished lifting not too long ago. Uh, we're not far separated from a lot of these people. Uh, I know I have people on my list that, that are still around. Uh, people are going to recognize their names um, and not maybe not realize how good they were in their prime. Right. So yeah, awesome. Um, and there's an important distinction here. So again, I just want to let all the listeners know, heavy bias towards drug-free lifting. You know, if, if you fail a drug test, it's likely you're not going to be on either of our lists. And that's just uh, by nature of, of our ethos here at USA Powerlifting, what I know Eric and I uh, believe in. So uh, with that said, I think I'd like to kick things off talking about our, our female powerlifters. Um, and if you want to go about this, maybe I can tell you my number one and you tell me yours. Um, and we can have an argument and, and also have some counter arguments for what we heard in the, the two white lights podcast. Sure. Um, that, that works. I don't know if I can, you know, the top five are tough to say one, two, three, four, five, you know, I think any oh, of them like, I can, can shift around, even though I, I do, I will say, I think I have a number one woman and a number one male. Oh, my, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I think on the women's side, my top four are like 
one, two, three, four, all time. For the yep. men, could absolutely be shifted around. The men is a very hard uh, thing to argue about. They've been doing it longer, right? The women in powerlifting is still relatively new, right? And, and there's a person on my list that'll give me a chance to talk about the history of women's powerlifting and how far we have come. So with that, Eric, why don't you go ahead and kick us off and tell us who your number one greatest female powerlifter of all time is. Um, I, I'm going to murder her name because I always do, but it's uh, Larissa Solovieva, right? Solovieva. Solovieva, yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, she's still competing. Matter of fact, she just competed in the IPF World Games yesterday. Um, finished up third, so she's 40 or 42 years old at this part, right? Um, she competed in... If she does compete into 63s, which is arguably one of the most competitive weight classes, um, you know, in that 60 to 60, 67 and a half range for women. She won Worlds 10 times. She's won World Games, which is combined four times, right? Um, her, you know, I'm going to talk about somebody a little bit later that's probably going to surpass her, but, um, you know, her... Raw total is is six six hundred forty five and a half, and her equipped total. Sorry, excuse me, that's her equipped total, uh, and she's just under seven hundred dots overall. Uh, there's only one other person that has a higher dot score than her, right? Um, so it's pretty impressive. Uh, but before, let me real quick about dots. I'm just going to say this is like formulas have issues, right? There are some formulas that weigh people's better than others, right? Um, uh, there's a guy I'm going to bring up later on that the old formula, the Schwartz Malone formula, he was ranked almost number one all the time. When they, when they went to Wilkes and they went to Dots, he dropped significantly. So uh, when we talk about formula, I think it's a way to look at people. Um, but I think, you know, that's it's one of those things that um, yeah. uh, certainly is is just one of the tools we're going to use. Right. Right. That that's a, brings up a good point to say, you know, yes, a lot of this is subjective for me personally, but objectively, the most important factor for this, for me, is winning. It's how many times have you won, right? When they talk about the greatest of all time in a sport, uh, it's usually who won the most. Michael Jordan, six rings, right? Yeah. So winning is and always has been the most important thing in powerlifting. Records, probably secondary. Um, I think for the people that hold the records, it's important. But for us as selecting the greatest, that that is just one factor in deciding who's the greatest of all time. The second is longevity. You have to do this sport for a long time. We're not um, sprinting, right? We're not Usain Bolt who getting three or four Olympics is a miracle, right? This is a long sport where people have done it from the time they're 18 to when they're in their 40s and 50s. So longevity, I think is very important. And Eric, I have to imagine your criteria were similar. Yeah, very similar, you know, um, and, and winning's not everything, but I think it's an important thing, you know, you know, there's been people in all sports, but especially in this sport, who put up massive numbers at local meets, right, or a national stage, and then they turn around, they can't, they can't win the big, the big thing, right? Uh, we see this in sports all the time. Uh, you know, think of these great players who never could win at all. And I think, you know, there's some of those people that become great because they can pull out wins. And again, I got people on the list simply because they could pull out wins when they, when they need to. Yeah, they were clutch. Um, and I wanted to say something about uh, the weight classes, the historic weight classes. I think one disadvantage that was done to the newer lifters, the younger lifters, uh, who and they're only looking maybe as far back as 2014, it's because the IPF essentially erased their history when they changed the weight classes. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that was in 2012, right? When we switched from the historic 
uh, powerlifting weight classes, the 198s, you know, the 181s, and they went to these new weight classes to try to align closer to weightlifting for the Olympics. They got rid of their records. It, it, to find these old records and wins is difficult on the internet. They completely erased it. And so all the young people listening, I want to, you know, give you the benefit of the doubt. You may not have heard of these names because your history has been erased by the IPF. So you only know about this if you know, right? And so hopefully as you're listening, um, you're intrigued enough to maybe go dig these things up because we're going to talk about a lot of people who who existed well before uh, 2014 and 2015. Yeah, and, and also our, our paper of record disappeared, right? I mean, for years, it was Powerlifting USA. You know, that's how it got me into it. I would go to the match store, yeah. buy Powerlifting USA. Um, you said that when that magazine went to demise, I think a lot of our history of a sport kind of disappeared. There was nowhere else to maintain that, right? Because even in back, you know, even... When it was out, they would have like, oh, historical meat. Let's talk about a meat from Butler's. So you would see these things. And you don't, you know, we don't have that anymore. So uh, we, we need to hear your number one. <laughs> okay. Well, it's it's also Larissa Soloviova. And I think any true powerlifting fan and historian has to put her number one. Um, she didn't lift raw, guys. I'm sorry. But here in the United States, I understand the raw movement is now, you know, the thing. And that's great. And it's gotten more hands on barbells than ever before. But in the rest of the world... Equipped lifting is the standard and always has been and still is, right? They're they're slowly transitioning to having more competitiveness raw, but for the most part, the United States mops the floor with the rest of the world. So within that vein of things, you have to rank Larissa Soloviova one, uh, number one. And, and I have a comparison here. I know Amanda Lawrence is someone that everyone likes to talk about. Oh, she's the greatest. She's doing these incredible feats. But here's the thing, you know, she's been lifting seven years. And in the span of seven years, she's won three world championships. That's great. She's hit some incredible numbers. But do you know what Larissa Soloviova did in the span of seven years? She won two world games. She won five IPF world championships. And that's the standard if you want to be goaded, right? So that's why I picked Larissa. And she wins in clutch moments. She's in the most competitive class. And she's now in her 40s and is still putting up incredible lifts. Um, I don't think, I think she was third yesterday in the world games. Mind you, that's a different orientation. It's a, it's by dots, not Wilkes, like it was four years ago. So the makeup is constantly changing. And that's why this argument is always going to be an argument. And it's why uh, LeBron versus Kobe versus Michael is always an argument. You know, the game changes, but the one thing that stays consistent is showing up and winning and doing it for a long period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's plenty of lifters that, you know, uh, I, I'm just I'm not to throw us completely off track. Uh, one of the greatest lifters that people always bring up, I'm going to bring up is Kat, you know, Kaz. Uh, Kaz Meyer was a phenomenal lifter. He only won two world titles. People forget that. I mean, yeah. he was one of those guys that was a flash in the pan. Respect the heck out of him. Probably the, one of the greatest strongmen ever. But when we talk about longevity and powerlifting and being a, a pure powerlifter, you know, like he's an example of one of those guys that couldn't do it long term. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Let's move on to number two. Who do you got? Uh, again, my, my next kind of order is kind of messed up. I'm, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go with one that I didn't think of until this morning. I have my list all set. Um, again, it's an, uh, a murder name because it's a Russian name, uh, but it's uh, Natalia Salanakova. Salanakova. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, she was a 52 lifter. Uh, some crazy good numbers, especially considering the fact um, she's still lifting, actually, right? So um, she's still around. Uh, she's she's considerably. I don't know if she passed her prime, but she won ten times. 
you know, again, two world games in the lightweights decide uh, at 52, she totaled 535 equipped 396 raw. I mean, that 396 raw for an equipped lifter. I mean, that's at 52. That's that's, you know, I, I believe I'd have to go back and check, but I believe she also won a classic. If not, she placed pretty high at a classic. So, I mean, she is definitely, uh, you know, one of those lifters that that people forget about, you know, um, that existed. So especially on the Russian side, it's hard to keep track of these, these folks. A lot of them rotate in one year, they win and you never see them again, but there are a few like her, like Fetty who, who stay and they're dominant for a long period of time. I, I know about her. I looked at her, but I'm heavily biased. Um, there's a lot of Americans on my list and I'm just going to be honest. So my number two, if we're ready is, and this was hard because Number two and number three are very close, but I ended up putting Priscilla at number two. Um, she won her first in 04, uh, her first world championship. And throughout her career, okay, she won 15 world championships, dude. 15. That's, I I gave up power. Okay, I'm, I'm retired now, basically, for the foreseeable future. So I lifted about 12 years until I was like, man, I'm done. Like, this is, I got more things to focus on in life. But, like, Priscilla has done this over an extended period of time. Um, she won in 2004 and she was winning up through 2017, 2018. And you talk about clutch, how many world championships did she win pulling that last deadlift that, you know, there's a saying in our sport, the meet ain't over till the bar hits the floor. And Priscilla really set the tone there. Her battles between Anna Rosa Castellan and, and her winning with that last pull. I mean, she's had the open deadlift world record, open total world records and She's won raw as well. So I am biased. I trained with her for years in Anchorage, Alaska, and I've seen her do things in the gym raw that never got to be shown on the raw platform because that, that's just not her priority. You know, mm -hmm. raw is training, equipped is, is uh, how we compete. But I mean, I saw her rep out 275 raw on the bench as quick as any man I've ever seen do it. Um, I've seen her deadlift 500 pounds, I think for 12 reps, like effortlessly. Um, I've seen her squat 600 pounds. She never did it in a meet, but I was there spotting her the day she did it. Um, her mental toughness is unrivaled and she won a lot over an extended period of time. So she's my number two. Yeah. Uh, that's a great pick. Um, uh, I, I don't want to put, she's absolutely on my list. So, uh, so again, one, two, three, I mean, she'd probably be third on my list. Um, she has a 654 key total. She won in 2017. The fact that people don't bring her up, it just amazes me. I mean, she's, she's, you know, the, the executive for the USA powerlifting. And I feel like nobody even knows what she did when she was around. Shame, man. I, I heard this story, uh, from a third party. I, I forget who told me this exactly, but they were at raw nationals, like 2015, I think. And Priscilla was there and people just walking right by her. Um, or basically moved her out of the way to go get a photo with someone else, which is just absurd. And yeah. it's a shame because just because you don't have a social media following, no. should it mean you don't know the history of your sport? Um, I hope I said that eloquently enough that people get the problem here. And social media is great. It's helped our sport expand. It's brought more people into the fold. It helps get positive messages out there. But that that is make believe. This phone that I'm holding is made up. That, that's not the real world. Yeah. When you're in the real world and, and you're at a meet and you're surrounded by Brad Gillingham, Priscilla Ribic, you know Tony Harris at these meets, you got to know who they are, man. 
Yeah, no, it, it, I agree. It's 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 a problem that I don't know how to address, but we can do our best. <laughs> yeah, hopefully this helps a little, and I don't want to come across as like shaking my finger or you as you know the old man yelling at the sky. But you know, maybe it would help if we had like a twenty something on here that we could you know get excited and and be like, yeah, I know them, I love them, they yeah. they lifted so much, you know. And anyway, I'm I'm digressing here. Why don't we move I, on? To your third? I also think I just also think. There's something weird about, um, and someone had brought this up to me recently, was something weird about the equip side of the sport where there's not a lot of social media presence. There's very few equip lifters who are throwing their social media out there. Uh, it is a problem for that side of the sport. Absolutely, I think. You know, uh, there's no, there's not attention on it for whatever reason. And some of the greatest lifters, I mean, a friend of mine who did phenomenal yesterday, you know, barely has a social media presence, right? So, uh, so it, it's tough. But well, and I, can I, I gave my three already. So I gave my, I gave Ribic. So I agree with you on her. She's definitely, she's definitely in that mix for me. So who do you got for your third? I'll share that uh, in one moment. I want to say one thing about the okay. lifting thing on, on social media. So when I was coming up, you never wanted to show your competition what you're doing. When, right. If you took video and training, it was for your training partners, your coach, and your, your immediate close circle. And that still exists today in the equipped lifting circles. Yeah. All of these these people uh, in the equipped lifting circles are usually competing at Worlds. And why are they going to go out there and show the Russians what their best lifts are in training? It makes no sense. Yeah. You can't do that. And, and But raw lifting is the opposite. You you show all your biggest lifts in training, but then, you know, it comes game day and you don't hit those numbers and we all have to see the excuses. Wah, wah, wah. No one cares, y'all. Anyway, equipped lifting uh, culture is you don't want to show your cards before Worlds or before Nationals. You got to yeah. keep people guessing. Um, and the other thing is, man, equipped lifting is hard. We don't got time to set up cameras and record. And, you know, we're in pain. We're sweating. You know, we're exhausted after wrapping a knee. You know, yeah. maybe we just hit our head with, with the mousetrap bench. I mean, there's far greater things of concern than recording my set. You know? Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I, I find that all the time where I'm training. I'm like, I want to record my set. And then I'm like, oh, I don't have the energy to do that. <laughs> so, I mean, it's definitely a problem. And, and I think... Uh, like Natalie Hansen has done a really good job yep. to, to show the world like equipped lifting is cool. She she documents her training. Um, her lifts are impressive and she she's great at it. But that's one person right. for an entire genre of lifting. Yeah, right. So we, we got to do a little better job. I can, I can name a couple of that, like Tony Cliff and some other people, but there's, there's yeah. not a lot out there. So. No, uh, we can improve that. So equipped lifters, maybe show your cards a bit more. At least let's let's let people know we're still here still around. So my number three uh, is Bonica. And I think Bonica could be, you could make an argument that she's the greatest of all time. Um, she started lifting in 03 at like 17 years old. Okay. So she's had two distinct periods of, of competition uh, life. So she, she went from like 03 to like, I think 09 mm -hmm. went on hiatus and then came back. And then since then she's just blown things out of the water. She had the single greatest run, I think, in women's powerlifting history in 2017. She won the World Games, she won Classic Worlds, she won Open Worlds, and she won Classic Bench Worlds. She won four World, she won three World Championships in the World Games in the same calendar year. And and I don't think anyone has ever done that or will touch it. And for that, like she she's definitely in the running. She's never lost at Classic Worlds, okay? So raw lifters, you know Bonica, you've seen her. She's never lost at Classic Worlds, and she's out on many years. She's won classic worlds and open worlds. Um, she's been doing it an incredibly long amount of time. She's uh, 
you know, squatted 600 raw, squatted 700 in gear. I think Monica is a very strong third place on my list. She could be number one, you know? Yeah, um, I'll have to agree with you. She's on my list, so she would be my number four because I've already <laughs> come up with. Um, but I, I can't think of, you know, when she did the trifecta, and I didn't even think about the bench, but when she did the trifecta, you know, the, the classic, you know, um, world games in open, I can't, you know, I, I put this out on social media, like who else could do that? Because there's really, you know, there's maybe there's maybe five people else in the world who have a shot of doing that, right? Uh, and also with world games, whether it's only four years, you have to hit, hit it perfectly, right? So you have to hit it perfectly. So you're in your prime in that year, right? So it's, um, you know, especially how close classic is also to world games, right? It's, it's, it's a quick turnaround. It's maybe eight weeks, six weeks or something like that. So, you know, that's one of those tough things. So she, she's absolutely number four. I mean, some impressive numbers over the years. She started as a teen. Uh, she, she just keeps going. Uh, she's a phenomenal lifter. Um, she's your number four. She should be my number four. Yeah. Again, my, 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 my five is a mix. Two through five is a mix. So. Awesome. Um, so I guess I need to talk about my number four. Yeah. I bet she's your number five. <laughs> it probably is. Maybe that just means, Hey, if two well-versed powerlifting historians, I don't want to call myself a historian, a powerlifting historian and a big powerlifting fan or a line, there's it's saying something. Yeah. You know, um, my number four is Wei Ling Chen. Okay. And uh, for a few reasons. So a, a factor in my, my goaded ranking here is things you have done for the sport beyond. So winning longevity, and then like redefining or, or having an influence beyond that. So Wei Ling Chen, for those of you that don't know, uh, has also competed at the Olympics in Olympic weightlifting. Um, so to be dominant in the, the two um, strength sports, you know, two, two greatest strength sports, if you will, Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting is, is unheard of. Um, so she won eight open world championships. She's won a raw world championship, y'all. All right. She's strong raw. I promise all these people. She won two. Oh, excuse me. She won two. Thank you. I believe she so. Yeah. Worlds across three weight classes. And she's been to the Olympics. I, I think she's a strong number four. And of course, we've all seen the video. I watched it happen on the live stream in Orlando at Worlds when she had a world record squad and had to walk it out three times, I think. Yeah, I just I just shared that on social media. Yeah, yeah if you haven't seen it, y'all, you got it. You have to see this lift. It is why we love powerlifting her grit her, her her tenacity she walks out a world record squat three times and 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 ends up nailing it and and as someone who can barely walk out of squat once i can't imagine having to walk out a world record three times and then have to hit it i would i would drop dead and he'd have to scrape me off the floor she's an incredible lifter and that's why she's my number four yeah i i agree she she is a phenomenal lifter um she she She's one of those people that I had on the list. And I actually, Natalia, I, I bumped her out with Natalia earlier. Just woke up this morning and started thinking like, is this the right list? And they started thinking of other names. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm missing somebody here. Um, yeah. But, you know, like, if you ask me next week, <laughs> my yeah. list probably changes, right? <laughs> you know, this is one of the, it's, it's the, anytime you rank people, right? You, you have these arguments, someone convinces you one way or another, um, you know, you bring her up and I was like, yeah, that, I, I easily could have been on my list. I, I could have subbed some other people out um, easily for her. You know, the fact that she won, uh, her world record was just broken. I mean, 
you know, she, her classic world record was just broken um, after standing for quite a while. 407.5 was a number that it was four or five years, I believe, that that stood. So, you know, and she didn't do it at 20 something year old. She did it, I think, in her 30s or close to 40. So, she, you know, she has some years on her. Uh, but I agree with you. She would be an honorable mention for me. Uh, okay. Again, again, we can shuffle her in and out. So uh, what are we at now? I got my last one. To You're on your fifth, yeah. Yeah, so my fifth is uh, Kim Walford. So, you know, um, she, it, and here's a great one example here. You know, we talk about equip lifting and, and, uh, and raw lifting. She found herself with raw lifting, right? I mean, she really became a dominant lifter. She won seven times. Um, you know, we all know her deadlifts, her weapon, you know, pulling 246, um, in her yeah. weight class is just super impressive, totaling around 550 normally. Um, super impressive numbers. Uh, but again, what I'm saying is she found raw lifting is, you know, she she started as an equipped lifter, you know, uh, and she did okay. She didn't do phenomenal. Uh, um, she had decent numbers, but when she went, when that raw, you know, uh, lifting took off, she jumped on it and really was dominant. And, and still, I mean, going into the last couple of IPF worlds, she's a favorite to win every time. Right. Yeah, she's still in the mix. That's a good pick. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, and I know they picked her on the, uh, the white lights podcast. She was on someone's top two or yeah. three. Yeah. And she, so she, des she deserves it. I mean, she's just a great lifter. So I, I think we have mostly named people that they didn't name on the, the podcast though. Right. So yes, uh, I'll be interested to see if, if they listen to this and if they have any other words to say, I'm sure they'll have counter arguments. Um, but that's why this is fun. Right. Yeah. So my fifth is going to be a name that everyone, especially our female lifters need to know. It's one that no one would probably put it the fifth, but because of what she did for women's powerlifting, she has to be in the conversation and in general, for strength sports, it's Jan Todd is number five on my list. Yeah. And and for, for those of you listening who don't know, uh, men and women were not always equal in the sport, just as in the world we live in. And they had to fight for a seat at the table. Uh, women's strength sports was was not a thing people were into. But Jan Todd came in and redefined that. And there's a great uh, documentary Rogue put out about her that I recommend everyone watch. And I'm getting yeah. chills yeah. thinking about it because there's very rarely someone who has such a profound effect on a sport as Jan Todd did, okay? She was at the first women's world championship in 1980. And I wanna say she was a big reason why that ever even happened, okay? She is uh, at the University of Texas now and uh, established the Stark Center for Strength Sports. So for uh, a niche sport like us to have a museum at a major university, it wouldn't be possible without Jan Todd and her husband, Terry Todd, who I'll talk about later. Two, two legends, you know, the late Terry Todd, I should say, that really made it possible for us to be, even be talking about powerlifting today, to be streaming the world games for the world to see, to have the popularity that we have. So for, and for you lady powerlifters to have the respect and notoriety, um, she paved the way for you. And that's why I think Jan Todd is the fifth go. Yeah, I, I, I do be honest, I didn't even put her on my list and I feel really guilty right now. Um, <laughs> I think I think part of Lee is is I'm thinking about lifters and lifters performances and she had some phenomenal performances, yeah. but I think, I think she's much more known for what you're talking about. Right. The, totally. the, the groundbreaking aspect of it, the, the Todd's themselves, what they did for the sport in general, for strength sports in general is just phenomenal. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I watched that rogue uh, um, highly recommended that rogue episode on her 
it i would watch it anybody should watch that you should go out and watch it today if you haven't seen it yet yeah so. it's inspiring and and i'm glad we you know getting we can't let her die right we can't let people forget about her especially women powerlifters who are thriving now um and who may only be thinking of the people they see on social media um she is she's why we're all here honestly yeah and that's why we have to talk about her hey she also rack pulled a thousand um don't know if a if a female exists in the world that can rack pull a thousand and she did it in the in the late 70s so yeah. incredible yeah absolutely do you have any so, honorable mentions? i i have a list it, it, it again this is hard <laughs> and it, but I, i'm going to throw them out you already gave him one uh wingling jen was on my list obviously okay. um uh who else do i have hartati sri right from india i believe it is or indonesia uh yeah. multiple world titles at 4850 yeah yeah uh heather connor uh certainly has brought about you know put up some big numbers in her weight class uh certainly someone who's can bump one of these people off this list in the next four or five years and again this comes down to longevity is amanda lawrence i think she's up there um really really you know just you know if we did top 10 she'd probably be in my top 10 just because what i think nice. potential um uh somebody who i think is underrated that people don't talk about is uh british lifter uh joy uh namani right i mean she's one handful of raw worlds um sorry i got a list <laughs> uh elena uh yamskich uh, another one she actually won 10 times um russian lifter uh uh ilja strix another one that i think could be on this list uh castellana we talked about carrie boudreau from maine i think gets forgotten about uh, i think she got mixed up in the whole uh you know people don't know that uspf you know went away and usapl came in and she was a former uspf lifter that um from my understanding before i talked to you just decided to go weightlifting right she, she kind of was frustrated and left probably similar to what might happen to some people right now uh, and the last two on there is uh, Filmanova at the 52, super dominant. And one I think will that might in five years, if we do this lift, list again, um, is Carol, you know, uh, Gara. I mean, yeah, yeah. She, she is just putting up numbers that are unbelievable right at this moment. So I know that's a long list, but oh, you want to do five, and it's tough to do five when you start thinking about <laughs> people. I'm grateful it's five. Doing 10, I... I would struggle. Yeah. It's just hard. Um, I have one honorable mention, uh, Jen Thompson. She's okay. not, you know, she did full me raw and, and did pretty good classically uh, for a few, but she redefined what we thought was possible for women to achieve. She's yeah. arguably the best bench presser to ever live. Bench 320 pounds. Yeah, I get it. People give her a hard time because she's always setting a world record and and chipping things up but she's at the bleeding edge okay so not the cutting edge she's at the bleeding edge of what's possible so mm -hmm. cutting edge would be someone in like the top you know one percent she's in the top 0.001 percent okay she is on the bleeding edge of what's possible for a strength sport um in in her division um she's done equipped she's done raw she's been doing it a long time and most importantly i think she's been a very positive influence for women's powerlifting um since she started using social media more prevalently. And this is one of the positives of social media. You know, she's a lifter who's been around a long time and uses it to spread a positive message, um, to show what's possible to lift into your forties. Um, and I think it's great. And that's why she's an honorable mention. Uh, I can only do one. I don't want to do, you know, <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it's okay. 
Uh, before we transition to the men, um, I don't want to bore people, right? Like some some newer raw lifters may have already turned this off because we're mentioning European names. Don't know what the hell we're talking about. But Eric, why do you think it's important that we're having this conversation and not letting our history die? Uh, I mean, you know, in this sport, it's tough. You, you know, in a lot of ways of, um, how do I phrase this? You know, other sports, especially professional sports, there's this kind of long list of names. You know, I, we can sit here and talk about famous people, Joe Montana or something like that. And people know who that is. For whatever reason, we're losing that in the sport. And I think people need to realize where the sport came from, uh, that there's so many good lifters in the world that have existed before uh, that have put up great performances, right? Uh, and just the progression of the sport, um, you know, over time. So, yeah, well said. So let's go ahead and transition to uh, our men's list. I think we're going to have wildly different answers. I had a really hard time with this, especially, you know, there's a few people I left off because they failed a drug test. Um, and I, I just want to say, obviously, historically, previously, you know, drug testing and anti-doping wasn't a big issue. When you talk about CAS, hey, we all know what was going on in the time, right? Um, we all know back in the 70s and 80s, like what the norm was. But, you know, if you failed a drug test, meaning you were in a, a drug-free sport, but you popped, I'm not going to include you on my list, even if your feats were incredible. Um, there's some names not here that will be in everyone else's arguments, but I just want to have that disclaimer that we're trying to be true to our drug-free ethos at USA Powerlifting. So, like, our list is historic, respectful of also the, the drug-free ethos. Yeah, and, and I know I have people on my list that certainly you could put some question marks on, but never failed, right? Yes, exactly. Um, you know, and, and it was the culture back then, um, uh, you know, um, Ernie Hackett, who won worlds was my, my chiropractor years ago. And, you know, he talked about that, like there was just the normal thing, you know, people, that's what they did 1980, 1979. It was not seen as abnormal. Um, you know, but we're, as we're talking about the creation of the ADFPA, uh, and really pushing drug-free sports, uh, powerlifting, especially that eventually pushed into the IPF and forced them to actually start drug testing. Uh, you know, a lot of that had to do with brother Bennett's history of, of wanting a, a clean platform. And I think people forget that. Um, yeah. The other thing real quick, historically, before we jump into men's names is we're going to bring up people. So if people don't understand equip lifting, equip lifting is pretty much the beginning of the sport from the seventies. Uh, but it's very different, right? So uh, people would lift equipped really from about two, circa 2000 and on. The equipment there is significantly different than that was in the 90s. And the 70s and 80s stuff was completely different, right? I mean, most of it is probably closer to, you know, knee sleeves ace and bandages. stuff. Yeah, ace bandages, things like that. Um, so like sometimes we talk about these people who are single ply lifters, but it's really not fair to call them that. Many of them didn't bench, you know, th through the 80s, bench shirts were almost non-existent. It wasn't until 85. The first bench shirt, you were lucky to get 10 pounds out of. Yeah, it was all raw through the late 80s until Marathon, Titan started having these suits come out, right? Yeah, in, in the 90s, you really started to see a, a, a transition, especially Titan stuff. Um, you know, Marathon had started in the 70s, but like that tr really transitioned right around the 90. And then in 2000, you know, with brand new bench shirts, uh, you know, the NXG stuff that that um, that Titan came out with really just changed that side of the sport completely. So I just, you know, some of these people bring up that are listed. If you go on Open Powerlifting, which does a great job of helping keep our history, uh, you go on there and uh, you see them as single ply, uh, but single ply in 1980. Uh, 
it, probably it definitely no bench shirt. Uh, it oh. might have meant, yeah. I mean, oh. the wraps, the wraps are, are aren't getting much out of those wraps, uh, you know. So these knee sleeves are are a bit more than they have been. So absolutely, they know it. They, they they can deny it all they want. They know it. When you have to have someone help get your knee sleeves on, or you have to use plastic bags, you're lifted equipped. Okay, yeah. carry on. So you get number one this time because I started okay. with one who's number one. That's, I'm, I'm very curious how different ours are going to be. Um, I do want to say these aren't honorable mentions, but I just want to drop some names that you can Google in your own time that were predecessors in the late 60s. You have Bob Peoples, you have Paul Anderson, and of course, Terry Todd. So Bob Peoples, you can find stuff out there about him, but he, you know, he started doing the odd lifts and, and he started us towards that path of powerlifting. Paul Anderson is like legendary circus strongman type. He, he held, I think he still holds the backlift record of like 6,000 pounds whatever that absurd number is. But I mean, some people allege they saw Paul Anderson squat the equivalent of 1200 pounds. Don't know how true that is, but legends of strength sports, Bob Peoples, Paul Anderson, and of course, Terry Todd. So you throw Pat about. Casey in on that too. Oh, and Pat Casey. Yes. Um, so my number one is probably many people's number one, and it's got to be Yaroslav Oleg of Poland. He uh, lifted across three weight classes. He's won 17 open world championships and three world games. I don't need to say anything else. You know Oleg's name. He squatted 815 at 160 freaking pounds. Um, he competed against the best and won for multiple decades. Um, he's my number one. I, I, I think if anybody doesn't have Oleg as a number one lifter of all time, really needs to go back and see the numbers he put up. Um, I know he's technically not number one dots, um, but unbelievable lifter, you know, total 908 in the 74s, 908, you know, uh, it's it just amazing numbers he put up again. He, he never lifted, um, at least in competition, he never lifted bra. Um, he, he actually, I mean, he just lifted in, in um, worlds last year, right. And probably come back around again. Uh, he yeah. placed sec second at 46 years old, right. What well, has won 17 times. I mean, he's just a phenomenal lifter. Uh, time and time again, just keeps coming back. Um, I agree with you. I, I think he has to be the number one, his longevity, the fact that he's, you know, uh, into his third decade of lifting in at the yeah. highest level. I mean, you, how do you touch that? No, right? But how many followers on Instagram does he have, Eric? <laughs> not, not, I don't even know if he has an Instagram account. I'm pretty good about following. Maybe he does, but I'm pretty good about following some of the Russians. And uh -huh, no. So yeah. Oh, like number one, Anyone who knows the sport will rank him number one. Um, Two White Lights podcast. I didn't listen to you all, I but I'm going to doubt you mentioned Oleg. I, I think they might have an honorable mentions at the end. I don't remember. Okay. Right? Well, I'm feeling that one popped up. So Okay. It's sus not mentioning Oleg. Just saying. <laughs> all right. Enough shots fired at our friends over there. Um, <laughs> I hope they clap back and we can have a nice argument. Yeah, this is great. This is, I, I, you know, we could do this. We could do this by weight class and probably do a whole episode just yeah. on weight classes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. So my number one or my number two is I'm going to call him by the name I've only ever heard him called. And when you just go by your last name, I think your legend exceeds you. Um, and it's Anaba. Anaba, yeah. could, you could always make an argument for Anaba as number one. When I was coming up in the sport, um, you know, I would frequently hear people throw out a Nava. You can't forget a Nava. As great as Olek is, as great as some of the other names are, dude, a Nava didn't lose. I mean, I think he lost once, but he won 17 world championships. Um, he won 10 as a master, and there's one in there that I forget. Oh, he won a world games too. Okay. 
but you talk oh, this about world games is weak, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he did it over a very long period of time. Yes, he was a small man, but people always showed up to compete and he mopped the floor with them. And for the counter argument that, you know, these lightweights shouldn't even exist, you can say the same thing about super heavyweights. We're talking about outliers in the, the overall size of humanity, right? When you're 350 pounds and six foot four like me, I'm, I'm, I'm a true outlier. Anaba, he's an outlier, but that doesn't mean we should exclude them from competition and they shouldn't have a place. Okay, yeah. here's the real argument. Anaba is one of the greatest because guess what? By coefficient at the time, he beat Pacifico, he beat Ryan Hout, he beat Lamar Gant, he beat John Cook, who are all in the arguments for the greatest of all time. And he beat them by coefficient. And you can even look at dots now, and he's still, I think, top five all time. So, Anaba, number two. Yeah, I think the dots he falls. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Well, he's he's number three for me. I'm just gonna say. So okay. he's my third pick. So I'll come back to him. But yeah, I mean, I, I've gotten some pushback on that. Steve pushed back on me, and he's like, "Hey, the guy's at 52. We shouldn't have 52s." It's the an elephant argument, right? I mean, the guy literally, except for one competition, every competition he totaled ten times his body weight, oftentimes eleven times his body weight. And I realize he's listed, lifted as single ply equipment. If you look at videos from even the 1980s, his wraps, I don't think that, I think they're weightlifting wraps. You know, the ones that weightlifters use. Yeah. I don't even think, they, I don't even think the red lines. I mean, There's no asterisks by these names. This is how the sport is, right? This right. is our history. We don't need to try to justify it for the people who only know raw. If you only know raw lifting, then you only know a 50th of the history of your sport. And you have to expand beyond that, beyond 2015, y'all. I promise we were around before 2015. You have to know this, and, and you you can't make a counter argument for a Nava that isn't um, isn't bullshit, in my opinion. Yeah, and and some I mean he's an early he's a pioneer, right? I mean he started in the seventies and the eighties, um, you know. And I I went back because I'll tell you that that bothered me. I was like, well, maybe I'm wrong, right? Let's go back and see what he did. There were meets he was blowing guys out by fifty keys or more, right? Uh, yeah. Like like I said, always totaling ten or eleven times his body weight. Um, and then when people came around to beat the foursome, Chucky Dunbar, which people probably don't know, another 52, phenomenal from the United States, would push him. Uh, and guess what? He won. There are times if you look at his second and third place, he's 40 or 50 years old, putting the weight on the bar for a win. It might have missed to get second, might have you know missed to get third place. Um, so definitely a competitor. He really, you know, wasn't losing until he got to his late forties and fifties. I think in his stretch of time, I think only Chucky Dunbar beat him once and that wow. was it. So, right. um, well, that's yeah. my number two. Who's your number two? So my number two, uh, arguably is the greatest deadlifter in history of the sport. Um, and for those who don't know, one of the reasons he was one of the greatest deadlifters, uh, in pulled conventional, if that matters to people, uh, is that he has scoliosis of the spine, which compressed his spine. Uh, so most people probably already know who I'm going to talk about. Uh, but I think it's Lamar Gant. Uh, Lamar Gant uh, is number two for me. Uh, 15 times he won. He totaled 720. He predominantly lifted in the 60 key class, uh, pulled 310 keys at, at 60. I think probably more impressive is 290 keys at 56. Right. And then we're talking about, you know, this eighties, we're doing this stuff, you know, with older training styles uh, you know, it's certainly today uh, our understanding of nutrition and training has improved tremendously because of the groundwork that these people established. Uh, but Lamar Gant, uh, phenomenal lifter. I, I can't see how he's not 
you know, that top number five and in any discussion, you know, uh, personally, I, and I think, I think for me being a lighter weight lifter, you know, at 82 and 75, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to be more biased to, to, towards some of these lightweight people. Um, but you know, like he just, and he started young, he was winning worlds at 17, 18 years old, his wow. first world, his first world meet, he was 16, right. Uh, placed second. Uh, and then after that, he just went on a tear. So, uh, I, I, there's enough video on YouTube. I highly, if you don't know who Lamar Gant is, if you're you a gotta go see his deadlift, dude. and how his back, uh, because of scoliosis, how he would like pull the bar just to like below his knees. And then he was able to push his hips forward and not have to raise the bar any higher. It was incredible. And, and he was no scrub in his other lifts either. I mean, he squatted 270, right? 270, bench 160, uh, predominantly, again, that's that's predominantly probably a raw bench. I haven't yeah. gone back and looked, but, uh, you know, his benching 300 pounds plus uh, as a 60 kilogram lifter quite regularly in the 70s and 80s. Dude, uh, yeah, so, I, he's yeah. not on my list because I'm biased towards large people because I'm a large person <laughs> and big is beautiful. Um, but talking about him and his pulling style, you know who deadlifts and reminds me of Lamar Gant, and I don't know if anyone else has this opinion, but I'm going to call it out, and then I want you to go watch this lifter and tell me it doesn't look similar. I think when Amanda Lawrence pulls, something funny happens with her hips and her back, and that's why she's obviously bull strong, but she has some mechanical advantage happening with how she locks her deadlifts out, and I'm not saying she has scoliosis, but when yeah. she pulls, it reminds me of those videos of seeing Lamar Gant where the bar kind of, he pulls it, stops, and then when he pushes his hips forward, He's locked out, even though the bar didn't raise up, you know? Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's like a compression going on. Compression. Something's going on with her, and, and hey, more power to you. I love so it. So I, I, I gave you my two and three, because you had a knobber on there oh, for my, yeah. my three. So what do you, who do you got for number three? My three is is Mike Bridges. Um, and I think beyond these top two, you could put anyone. There's so many arguments that could be made. Those are hard top two for me, Oleg and Anaba. Uh, Bridges was a game changer he's a, he's a smaller lifter he competed at 148 165 181 you know he was lifting an equipment in the 80s there that, that didn't give you the advantages we have now uh, i was very you know for the most part raw um huge totals lots of ipf world championships um yeah i'm sure you have some other things to say about mike bridges but he's my he's my number three for those reasons and and i want to point out so taylor atwood's talked about a lot He's been dominant in his weight class since the popularity of powerlifting's risen. He's, he has been doing it a fair amount of time. But, uh, you know, Mike Bridges totaled 1835 in 1980 at only like 23 years old. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't wearing a bench shirt. He was, he was lifting raw for the most part. I'd, I'd say equivalent to tight pair of SVDs and knee sleeves. Um, and there's another guy in the same weight class as Atwood named Rick Gogler that totaled 1860 in 1980. So, Atwood, as many times as he has won, and I think in the future he could, he could make an argument. Um, he just hasn't been around long enough. And as strong as we think he is now in the perspective since 2015, when you look at the entire sport, you realize there's been people stronger than Taylor before who were winning against um, greater competition. So yeah, I, I have to think about that. I'll throw. I, I had I originally had Atwood on my list. I'm going to give away some of my list, and I actually pulled him off because for that oh, reason. Because again, because we have this massive list. Um, I for me, I'm a huge Bridges fan. Um, I know there's some question marks about what happens in the 1980s, 
Uh, right. He also, by the way, he left the sport for a good couple of years, came back to the ADFPA uh, and lifted with USA Powerlifting. You know, he took a couple of breaks, came back, lifted there, took a break, um, then came back again and, be, and then won two Masters Worlds, uh, right? Um, yeah. He, from what I understand now, he's actually a pretty good Masters CrossFitter. Uh, I don't know if you know that. Yeah, he's but, a, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah, he pops up when you Google him. He comes up in CrossFit now. It's, it's kind of strange. So I think the greatest, probably arguably one of the greatest performances we're talking about. So Bridges is on my list. Bridges is, uh, is number, I could, again, uh, I could have put him too, because I, I am a huge fan of his just because again, the weight class that I compete in, right? Um, you know, I, I think the one reason he's on this list alone is his performance in India, 1981. Uh, I, I highly suggest people go back and look at those results. He totaled in India, traveling from the United States, 945 keys at 82 and a half. Okay. He squatted 365, deadlifted 340, two, benched 240 in, in a t-shirt. There was no bench shirts in 1981. Okay. So uh, just unbelievable numbers. And again, I'm going to go back to my, old friend Ernie Hackett who used to take care of me he talked to me one day about 1981 and he said that the whole American team got sick because they were in India they all got sick I've um, heard this yeah I've yeah heard so this. Ernie, Ernie was supposed to squat a thousand matter of fact he doubled a thousand in his training he was planning on squatting a thousand I don't think he, I think he barely squatted nine because that's how sick he got but so in 80 so he won with 945 you, the only two people in the whole meet that the only people who out total them in the whole meet were Ernie Hackett, who totaled 962 and a half at 125. The first year they had 125s and Paul Wren, another great lifter at, at 1027 and a half is a super heavyweight. He, out, he would have won every class except for those two weight classes and those weight classes. He would have placed second that performance alone enshrines him uh, as a, a friend of mine and the, the iron gods. I mean, it, it, it's just unbelievable what he did. And before the IPF talk about racing history, that squat record stood his squat record stood before they changed the weight classes until about, uh, I believe all issues might've been the one who broke it first. Uh, I know Hooper kind of went back and forth with all on that squat for a little bit. I have to go back and look, remember my history it gets a little blurry sometimes, but uh -huh. you know, uh, I mean, you're talking about a squat record that lasted uh, for years. The, the only other record that I knew that re was retired when powerlifting retired that no one ever surpassed was Cuck's, uh, was Cook's um, deadlift record. But um, 240 bench in a T-shirt. I mean. Wild, man. That total. Yeah. That's humbling because my best equipped total as a 350-pound dude is like 950. Yeah. He, he did it with no gear. 100 200 pounds less than me basically like i didn't know that happened in 81 where only the the top two weight classes beat him that's insane yeah. wow his best total is 954.954 he did that at, at nationals at 25 years old so he was only 25 and by wow. the way his, his brother was a phenomenal lifter too people don't realize that bob Bridges, my kind of brother. yeah bob bridges uh won some adfpa meet for wow. a while so. Yeah, legend. I'm sure I'd love to hear more Mike Bridges stories. I know they're out there. A lot of people still lifting, remember him, competed with him. So we've, we've heard your top three, right? Are you on four now? I, I, I think I've done four because you, I jumped to with the Inaba. So I, I have one left. So okay. You gotta... You'll, okay, I'll go. My number four, man, in these last ones, this was hard for me. There's a lot of incredible people, but this is someone who necessarily didn't win, you know, a dozen titles, but 
set the tone for the, what, what is possible in the sport and stood at the top for a very long time. So Don Reinhout won yes. four IPF world titles. He was one of the first OG big men. He totaled 2298. And I want to say that record stood up until like 2012 or something. And it took someone in knee wraps to beat it. Like that 2298 for the longest time was the highest total in powerlifting. Um, and, and so I rate Don, of course, as a fellow big man, you know, we look up to those guys. I think he's a strong number four and that's why I put him there. Yeah. He's, he's in my honor, honorable mention list. Certainly a guy, again, if we had this discussion next week, we'd, we'd probably <laughs> might change my list around, right? Uh, it's just amazing what he did uh, at, at the time that he did it. Uh, I think people don't realize if you go back and look at his pictures, he was raw, completely raw. Almost all, any pictures I've ever seen of him, yep. no, nothing, naked, naked sleeves. I mean, nothing on his knees at all, ever. Uh, and almost always that belt looked like the flimsy weightlifting I belt. Know. Yeah, um, crazy. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, um, he squatted 410, benched 275, uh, 390 deadlift. Uh, he If he pulled, he actually has, has attempted to pull uh, 410 uh, um, to become one of the few men to ever go 900, 600, 900, uh, and just missed it. Um, wow. I, I would make the argument um, that if he was in the modern times, um, he would be the greatest super heavyweight ever. Like if he lifted today, I don't oh, think, yeah. catch him. I think that's a great argument. And I, I would have no counter. I never considered that in the modern day. I mean, and think about training. How much has trained? I don't know how they trained back then, but think of how much training has advanced. If he had that along with some some knee sleeves and a real belt, my yeah, God. I know. Uh, so he, he was on my honorable mention list. I feel long, Again, I have a long honorable mention list. It, it is so hard because the sport is so great. I mean, there is just so many lifters that we could talk about for, uh, you know, yeah. spend time on. So, so who's so number five? That, that, What's that? What's what? Who's your number five? So uh, this, I just because of what he's done recently, um, I'm going to put Ray Williams on that number five. Um, really? I will. Yes. Okay. 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 I don't know if that's a hot take. I, I completely I disagree with you. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, and and I know there are some questions around uh, some of the depth that he's hit and meets, and I've watched some of this stuff. But the fact that you know, the 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 numbers he put up. Um, raw, you know, when raw started off, I, you know, there really, there really was a question how much the numbers could be pushed. And I really truly believe that Ray kind of pushed that envelope for all the weight classes. The fact that he was squatting a thousand pounds raw, uh, when most super heavyweights in gear are barely squatting a thousand pounds. I, I think that really shifted other, you know, lifters perception of what could be done raw. Um, and, you know, I, I think he really has had a huge impact on the sport in the last six or seven years. He really became a, a major face for the sport um, in a lot of ways. Uh, he totaled 11, um, you know, it, it, and again, I think he is definitely one of these guys. I pulled a, I pulled a name off for him, right? I really did. I pulled a name off for him that, that probably des might deserve to be on there more. Um, I really tried not to be gear biased. You know, I tried not to be equipped biased. I tried to look at... <laughs> I, I, I'm serious. I try to look at what. Oh, that's, that's, good. that's good. Yeah, I try to look at what somebody did, and I just, you know, eleven. What his best total, I think, is eleven, twelve and a half. You know that that four ninety squat. I mean, uh, it's hard to beat. You know, 
So why why don't you like that pick? I and and you know your your points are all very valid. Um, and and, and to give the benefit of the doubt to raw lifters, you also haven't been around long enough to compare to an Oleg or an Anava, right? Like they have 50 years of, of history on you. Um, for me though, with Ray is I've been to meets where he competed and any time, the limited times he had competition, I didn't see the tenacity and the, the, the I, I don't want to disrespect Ray cause he's incredible. And like you said, his numbers are insane and he's, he's been a great face for the sport. He's a great man. Um, but you know, I saw him lose to Blaine in 2014 and that was, that kind of just set the tone for my opinion of, of him as a, as a powerlifting athlete is like the one time he had competition, he didn't rise to the occasion. Um, Blaine is an equipped lifter. Blaine showed up to Colorado there to compete and, and Blaine won pretty handedly. Um, and then, you know, I, I realized that that world's where he bombed out. He was sick. I don't know the whole story, but you know, Jezza won. Jezza was stiff competition. I, I don't know. There, there's a question mark there for me. Um, but you know, life happens. Ray has got his PhD. He has a family. Like, I also don't think we're going to be fortunate enough to see him, uh, over a long period of time. Also the curse of the big man is competing at a long time over 400 pounds body weight is difficult. You don't want to yeah. die. You know, there's major health complications. And I, I think that's a factor. Um, it's also why Don Reinhardt didn't compete that long. There's a lot of supers. The longevity is not on our side, right? Um, yeah, oh, absolutely. I think that's the drawback about, you know, some of the supers are on the list. Absolutely. And, and you know what? It, we, we could have a back and forth on, on Don and Ray, and, and we'd probably come up with both sides that are, you know, just equally as strong for both of them. I, I think I, you could, you, I could have shuffled him in and out, you know, both those names. Yeah, I think it's good Don, you was, mentioned, Don right? was the first big man, really was yeah. the first big man. He was, and I'm glad you mentioned Ray. It gave me a chance to kind of share my feelings of what makes someone a GOAT. I think for Ray's uh, attention he brought to powerlifting, he really redefined what we all thought was possible for a raw lifter. You know, I saw him squat, I think, was it the 490s, 1080 at the Arnold? Blew my mind. Okay, I, I was there uh, in Atlanta when he squatted 1,000. Very deep, very fast, mind-blowing. Um, you know, his bench wasn't the best. I also saw him at Atlanta. He beat Ray, uh, Brad Gillingham's deadlift record, and it kind of just, like, punched me in the gut. I'm like, oh, my God, someone beat Brad's record. That's crazy. So much respect to Ray um, for the time he competed. But, unfortunately, we're not going to have get to see 15, 20 years of Ray competing. Um, now we already have a new guy, right, Je Jesus Olivares. Oh, yeah. my God, what is he going to do? You know, and can he do it for a long time? That's that's a big question mark. Um, but I don't think Jesus would be lifting what he did now without a guy like Ray, right? So yeah, some, well, that, that's yeah. part of part of the argument, isn't it? Like, totally. it's just, yeah, redefine what's what's in. Two of my honorable mentions are that. Okay, um, you know, for my fifth, I'm gonna completely be biased and not put a power lifter here. Okay. And people can call me out for it and give me a hard time, but you know, I'm a bencher. Yes, I did powerlifting. I had some fun there. It was never any good. Uh, but I'm a bench only guy. And so I've been in this world of, of bench press my whole, my whole career. I've been to like eight IPF bench worlds and I've learned of the legend of some of these people. And there's someone who stands out above the pack that deserves to be mentioned. And it's Daiki Kodama. He's from Japan. Excuse me. He's from Japan. Uh, he's won 22 or 23 open bench world championships. So he has dominated across multiple decades. 
Uh, he's benched 300 kilos at 163 pounds, y'all. Okay. He did that in equipment. But for all you raw people out there, he's benched over 500 raw at 163. Okay. Kodama is lights out the best, I think, bench presser of all time. And I want to put him on this list to, to make sure people know he exists. He's still competing. Um, he's the winningest bench presser ever, I think. Um, arguably, uh, I have to get a fact checker on that, but 300 kilos at 160 pounds, 500 pound bench raw at 160 pounds, 23 open championships. I'm putting a bencher in the top five, hate on me all you want. You need to know his name. So, so yeah, that's my fifth pick. That's a great pick. Uh, I think, I think bencher only guys kind of get dismissed a little bit in the sport, unfortunately. Um, uh, but they put up phenomenal numbers. Yeah. So, uh, as I'm, I'm going to have a list of honorable mentions. Sorry. It, this is so hard. The men, the men were so hard, right? Uh, I'm going to give you the list of people that I had on my list that came off my list and then maybe back on and then off. Right. So, wow. Okay. Well, let me, let me stop you. I have three. Let me do okay. those briefly and then we could end with you on that. So, okay. We're going to do my three honorable mentions and I have three. Okay. I have, I have Blaine. Yeah. Blaine incredible game-changing numbers you know he lost a few competitions here that you know if he had won would definitely make him in the running for top five but you got to be win you got to win you got to win in clutch times um but you know squatting 1100 pounds benching a thousand pounds insane total you got to mention blaine um he's also brought notoriety to the sport he gets articles written about him in business insider espn you know it's been great i also have mark henry okay for what he did in powerlifting as a young man, we never got to see him at his full potential. He squatted 903 at like 21 raw. He pulled 903 raw. You know, he benched 485, whatever. That's not important. Huge total, game-changing squat and deadlift. Then he went on to compete the 96 Atlanta Olympics. He made that very difficult transition to Olympic weightlifting. Then he went to strongman and dominated. Then he went to the WWE and dominated. He is a great uh, ambassador for strength sports. And so he's on my list. And then I also have Taylor Atwood. Um, no disrespect to the raw lifters. You guys are on your way to, to becoming a big part of our history. Um, I think of the group, Taylor's the only one to me that stands out as having dominating performances over a long period of time where he's probably in the top 10 all time. So, so yeah, those are my honorable mentions. Yeah. So sorry. I just, it was really, really hard for me. Um, so I, here, here's my list of people on my list, right? I, so some people, Olich was automatic, but when I started getting four or five, I had a bunch of people. So two Ukrainians, Baikov and Billy, right? I mean, Baikov right now is just untouchable. Uh, just so unbelievably strong. Um, Captain Kirk had on the list for a little bit, pulled him off. Captain Kirk Korsky, check out his squad. It was phenomenal. Well, he mentioned- five IPF worlds, didn't he? Yes. You won quite a few. I think, I think it was five. Um, you already mentioned Don. He was on my list. John Cuck, another one, doesn't get mentioned a lot. One of the pioneers. Uh, matter of fact, people don't realize that as soon as ADFPA came out and there was drug testing, he switched over because he was tired of the drug use going on in the USPF already. Uh, he was one of the first guys to jump over for first superstars. Um, Taylor Atwood was also my list. Blaine was also my list. And of course, Blaine's nemesis was on my list. Uh, Konovalov, uh, you know, I mean, they, they just had some great battles. You go out. Great but, rivalry, yes. Yeah, great, great rivalry. Um, and then I had some that a uh, kind of second tier that never made my list, but I think are, are important to bring up. Wade Hooper, 
Um, one of the oh, greatest, yeah. one of the greatest squatters ever. Of course, you know, I, I think about this sometimes when I think about them talk about like Russell or he and stuff like that. And like, uh, you know, it's really into it. I'm like, I guess that's the way I felt about Wade, you know, like the first time I met Wade, it was kind of like that superstar moment for me. I was like, Oh man, I can't believe I get to meet you finally. Um, Ashton Ruska, I think will be one of the greatest lifters if he keeps going. Uh, Brett Gibbs kind of career was a little cut short, but he both was dominant and both equipped and raw. And I always think that's impressive if you can do that, you know, in, in today's age, uh, Ray, um, Ben Marito, uh, phenomenal ADFPA lifter kind of forgotten in time. Dave Ricks, I think everybody remembers. Dave Ricks is one of those guys who go back to talk about Priscilla Rivick, about pulling out for the win. He had multiple times where he went out and pulled for the win, um, you know, and, and has done it for decades, right? Uh, he has multiple world championships. Uh, someone who I think that I know two white lights talked about one of the greatest squatters, if not the greatest squatter in the world is uh, Stena Zak. Um, you know, that. What's that? Andre Stenashek, the, the, the yeah. small, he was Polish, yeah. right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, about, yeah. squad at 352, stuff like that. Uh, Konstantin Pavlov, another guy that doesn't get brought up, another lightweight lifter, and then Dennis Cornelius is a phenomenal lifter too. So I think, you know, I, I started thinking about this this morning. I was like, I had to stop making a list because I just started thinking about, you know, I was like, how do I have not, not have Larry Pacifico on this list, right? I, I thought of Larry too. Yeah, like, right? So there was just some names on here, like, you know, Brad, you brought up Brad Gillingham earlier, like, you know, Brad Gillingham today, his numbers are kind of pedestrian, but he pulled out some phenomenal wins, uh, had a very strong career, you know? So like, this is guys dopers. that, what's that? He was beating dopers. You know, he was competing yes. against people who doped. So, and he won. And the yeah. amount of times he's pulled 800 in competition is, is in no, mind. I'll venture to say no one will ever touch it. No, I, I agree. So, you know, the, the men's side was a lot harder for me. Um, Again, I, I actually, guy like Bykoff, I actually had on there. I actually put Ray in for Bykoff at some point. Um, and uh, I, I didn't have a knob on there for a little bit, just, you know, and then I, again, I started redoing my homework and realizing like, wow, like he really, his numbers are impressive. Um, so it kind of bumped some people off, but, you know, this is great to talk about our history of the sport. Um, I, I, I'd like to actually thank those guys at Two White Lights. It really, you know, uh, the, to bring this up, to talk about people from the past, to talk about where the sport is and who some of these lifters are. I think this is important for us. I think it's important for us to share with people, uh, for people to go to explore. Um, I got some messages on social media from some uh, younger lifter, like, I don't even know these people. And I was like, here, it's, these people are still here, right? And sharing their Instagram accounts with these people, because that's where the, a lot of these kids go for their information. Um, so it, it, it's great. It's great to talk about our history. It's great to recognize some of the great feats that have been done um, and it, within their era, you know, so that's a big thing for me. And I don't know that's not for everybody. I think looking at lifters within their era, I think is important in any sport, actually, you know, that if you're dominant in your area, you're dominant with your competition. I think that's an important thing to look at. Yeah, very well said. I You, you talked about Ashton earlier. You know, I, I wanted to give some respect to the current lifters who I think are well on their way to be in on this consideration, you know, Taylor, of course, who is my honorable mention already, but Amanda Lawrence, I mean, I, I've never seen a female lifter as strong as her, honestly. Uh, I think if she stays healthy and keeps showing up and competing and, you know, if she ever loses, you know, she takes it with grace and is inspired to come back and win again. Cause I think that's something we see a lot with newer lifters who have been the, the best without being rivaled. Like you're gonna, you're gonna eventually face competition that's gonna challenge you and, 
the greatest test of any athlete is, is what they do after they lose or, or how they overcome adversity. And so, you know, someone's going to beat Taylor one day too. And what's going to happen. That is how you define yourself as the greatest of all time. I think is showing the world. You don't give up after things don't go your way. Blaine who had so many, you know, bombs and failures or unfair calls at the IPF level still came back and always showed up and, and, and won over time. You know, um, I think Ashton, the numbers he's putting up, uh, I can't really quite fathom. And he trains in a really smart way. And he's also outside of the sport pursuing really meaningful work in his life. And I think we could see Ashton at the top of this list if he stays healthy uh, in the next 15 years. You know, he's going to do it forever. And I think Ashton's well on his way to being one of the greatest of all time, strength wise, championship wise. And, and this Jesus. Um, you know, I'm big man bias. And, and uh, when I first heard about Jesus from Scott Dobbins, who had him at a local meet there in Texas, which is where I'm from, y'all. So don't forget, Texas boy. Um, and he told me about this kid. I, I couldn't believe he was lifting these numbers. And that was only maybe two years ago. And, and look what he's doing now. Um, 24 something, 24 and change total. He's near the, the all-time top, whether you're tested or untested. So he's beating handedly people who are doping. Yeah. Um, so I, I think Jesus is also on his way, but you know, a big question mark being a big man is how long can you do it? So, um, yeah, anyway, I want to wrap things up now and Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me. I hope, you know, if a hundred people listen, a hundred of them are curious to go Google some of these names and learn a bit. Um, and our friends at two white lights, if you listen, uh, we'd love to have you on and maybe debate some more on what constitutes the greatest of all time. You know, maybe we, we separate by eras. How do you compare apples and oranges? Um, but, you know, as our resident historian and new executive committee member, Eric, thank you so much. Can't wait to have you on again. Uh, do you have any parting words? Um, I just, again, thank you. Um, I'd like to say I, I really do love this organization. It's one of the things I said when I ran for the EC and why I ran for the EC. Um, I think um, having drug tested meets across the country is very important for us. Uh, and I hope the organization stays strong for the next several decades. Yeah, um, we are definitely putting our our flag in the ground and drawing a line. You know, we want to test at all levels because a fair uh, and clean platform is is what we're about and is important. Um, you know, all this drama aside that's happened over the last year, uh, I'm excited for where our organization is headed with the leadership like you taking us to new heights, answering important questions, having really important discussions about um, what's important to us, what is right for the lifters at every level. So thank you and thank you to everyone who supports us and listens. And we will see you at a meet. We wish you the best in training and in strength and that all your lights may be white at your next meet. Signing off until next time. Thank you from the USA Powerlifting Podcast from myself and Eric. Thanks.